OBS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers, episode 25. I'm your host, Ben Pfaff. This episode is an interview with Min Lan Yu, a professor at Yale who I was fortunate to be introduced to last week. Even though I have two other episodes already recorded, I'm releasing this one because I want to get the word out about the new Hot Container Networking Conference, which we talk about early on in the podcast, and to do it early enough that you might have enough time to write a paper before the March 24th deadline. On to the interview. Today, I'm talking to Min Lan Yu, who is an associate professor of computer science at Yale and before that at USC. She works in several areas that are relevant to Open vSwitch, including network virtualization and software-defined networking, enterprise and data center networks, and distributed systems. Min Lan, do you want to say anything more about your interests or your background? Yeah, so I have been involved in software-defined networking and have been trying uh, with Open vSwitch since 2009 when I was a PhD student in Princeton. And since then, I have been uh, heavily involved in developing systems that can improve the scalability of managing data center networks using SDN, such as Dyson. And more recently, I've been focusing on how to provide more fine-grained visibility and control of data center networks with the ultimate goal of fully automate management without any human involvement. I want to dive in some, uh, into some of your more recent research in a little bit, but before we get to that, one topic I want to cover also is the Hot Container Networking Workshop, which is a new workshop at SIGCOM this year. I'm on the program committee, but you're the co-chair, so you know a lot more about it, uh, where it came from, and, and so on, and the goal. Do you want to tell people a little bit about uh, Hot Container Networking? Yeah, so containers have been a buzzword for that recent several years. And the reason I think is because containers really make the software industry much easier to deploy new applications. Uh, it's faster to deploy with a com- uh, container, it's easy to port, and it can improve, like provide high resource efficiency to run these large-scale distributed systems. And because of the benefits, I think we see there are lots of companies like Google and startups like Yelp has been using containers heavily to deploy their applications. And I think if we look into the Docker hub, there have been like 400,000 public container images, and it's, the numbers keep growing like a few thousand every week. And then we can also see that containers have been getting good support from both operating systems, like Windows and Linux has started to support softwares uh, and containers. And also the big cloud providers like Amazon, Azure, has also been releasing their own services and solutions to support containers better. Um, so we can see that there's actually a big way, big trend in some industry in supporting containers. But on the other hand, containers are still in the early stage. They're still facing lots of challenges like how to improve security, improve performance, performance isolation, how to scale to many containers. So we feel that it's actually a good opportunity for the SICOM community to come in to help improve the containers and make it more usable by the the different applications. I'm looking forward to it because I, I feel like uh, a lot of uh, networking in containers up to this point has been uh, fairly ad hoc. 
and I hope that some academic influence over it could lead to a more well thought out, uh, maybe uh, more robust or more advanced uh, networking systems. Yeah, exactly. And I think networking is actually not that easy for containers. It's one of the bigger challenges in our system space. I think the, the major challenge is really either use like the original host solution to support the containers, so all the containers have to share the same host space, or you use some kind of netting solution that can somehow provide individual uh, port spaces for individual containers, but then how do you support this dynamic mapping becomes a challenge. So I think there's really no clean solutions on how networking should be done for containers. And there's a lot of research of Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading and, and reviewing some of these papers. For people who might be interested in uh, contributing papers to the conference, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the submission deadline for HotConnet? Yeah, so it's March 24th. Um, and it's a hard day like to hope people can make to submit like six pages uh, of a workshop paper. So it doesn't need to be mature ideas. You can, any early observations of how container works, experiences from industry on how they use containers, problems, ideas related to containers, uh, or using containers in different scenarios are all welcome to submit. All right. And then, so the, the question that everybody always asks me about conferences, and I always forget uh, to, uh, to even look up before I submit, is where's the conference being held? It's held in Los Angeles. Uh, so it's a short trip from the Bay Area. So are, are you working on a, on a submission for the conference yourself? Uh, I'm still thinking about the topic, but I think my, I may work with my co-chair, Harry uh, Liu from MSR, so we're discussing maybe submitting the survey paper on what are the new challenges on security uh, or resource usage for container networks. Great. So I'll, uh, I'll look forward to, to HotConnet. Let's move on and, and talk about some of your uh, more recent research. Looking through uh, your papers, several of them uh, seem relevant to OpenVSwitch and its users. And for some of them, you even prototype them on top of OpenVSwitch. The one that you suggested that we uh, discuss is one of your more recent papers uh, called uh, Trumpet, Timely and Precise Triggers in Data Centers, which was presented at SIGCOM back in August. So uh, do you want to say something about maybe the, the motivation for the paper or, or what, it's, uh, what it's about at a, at a high level? Yeah, so I think the reason we come up with the trumpet uh, idea is mostly based on the observation that data centers are growing larger and have been facing tighter performance and availability requirements. So it's uh, the traditional way of monitoring data center where you passively collect lots of data no longer working such uh, scenario because you cannot rely on humans to read these aggregate data and make decisions accordingly. Instead, we feel there's, it's actually time to enable program control, which you have a program that automatically collect information, uh, collect network state information and making uh, automated decisions of what to do. And a key component to enable such programmable control is to uh, provide fine-grained real-time collection of network events. And that's what Trumpet is about. Trumpet will uh, try to capture all kinds of network events that operators specify and quickly detect these events when they happen and report it to a centralized controller so there we can write programs to actually 
At a high level, this sounds fairly similar to other ways that you might monitor a data center or, or a network. Tell me more about uh, how, how Trumpet is distinguished from other monitoring systems. So there's a few unique properties of Trumpet. First is it can detect network-wide events, like any transient congestion happening any place in the network, or some server loading balance for all the virtual machines running uh, uh, for a specific tenant. Second is that it's really precise. It can inspect many, like every package and report events related to individual, like packet loss, individual packet burst uh, behaviors. And it can provide such a very fine time scale. So if you want to observe a millisecond level burst, we can capture that programmable fashion. So uh, you are really free to define the events you want to uh, detect and we can support all these events. Lots of people are talking about adding programmability to networks. OpenFlow does that, P4 does that, various other academic and, uh, and industry kinds of uh, uh, abilities and, and languages and so on uh, add programmability too. What's the distinction between uh, Trumpet programmability and, say, some of these other systems? Yeah, so a unique uh, observation we're making Trumpet is that we want to build a system on host. Instead of like OpenFlow and P4, which mostly focus on the, the switches inside the network. And the reason we make that design choice is because first, hosts have uh, enough kind of CPU uh, and memory for us to do more detailed packet inspection. And host is also the place where most of the per packet events and problems happen, like first the flows and packet loss. Um, so you can, you can really have the resources and the visibility to local events. And, and it's also easier to program, to introduce programmability as a host because you pretty much can write arbitrary code as a host. So these are the new opportunities for Trumpet. Do you have a particular use case in, in mind for Trumpet, or is it more about defining a, a, a set of new abilities for data center operators, and then over time you, you expect some particular use cases to emerge? I can. I talked a lot to data center operators. I think most of them still have this mindset of working with aggregated sample data, and they they also have the feeling that this kind of aggregate is not enough for them to make automated decisions. But they uh, kind of hesitated to move to all this fine-grained real-time information because they don't know how to really get it. So I think that's the main point of Trumpet, showing that. With our prototype and showing that it's actually possible to capture all the fine grade events at even the packet level in line speed in modern servers. And that opens up a lot of opportunities. So, for example, uh, one important thing I think operators often want to do is to understand what's, what's the root cause of packet losses. Is it caused by some bursty flows or because of uh, some kind of bad scheduling inside the network? So. For example, if we see a short and a bursty flow that um, come uh, very short flow, like last only 40 milliseconds and cause transient congestion, it could have a very bad impact, like causing other flows going through the same switch may have significant timeouts. Um, so in that case, if we can use Trumpet to uh, install a traffic counter at a host level, then we can uh, at the millisecond level, then we can capture this process and immediately diagnose uh, what the root cause for these performance problems, other flows, 
So this is kind of a simplified example of the usefulness of trumpet. And of course, trumpet could be used in much, uh, many other sophisticated examples, as long as you can express them in terms of uh, traffic counters or uh, packet level events at end host. It sounds like uh, Trumpet is oriented around detecting events. Is the, the, the main way that operators interact with it by defining what events to detect and, and how, how do they do that? Yeah, so operators, the way operators can use Trumpet is to define kind of packet filters as allow, that tell them what the set of packets or flows that they're interested in. For example, all the traffic from a particular tenant. And they can also get uh, describe some predicates that specify a condition for some select package. So, for example, if the traffic volume uh, in certain time period is above uh, a threshold, so you see a bird. Uh, now, operators can also define the predict time uh, granularity and flow granularity. And in that way, they can specify the event. You had some pretty powerful sounding examples uh, in, in your paper uh, about what kinds of, of events uh, can be defined. You've already m mentioned a, a couple of them. Uh, do you want to describe uh, one or two more just to give people an idea of the power of the system? Yeah, so a few others could be like finding the heavy heater flows that send a burst of packets to a specific uh, rack or maybe uh, a TCP connection experiencing congestion, uh, or maybe in a large-scale distributed service running on venue VMs to detect the low spike of aggregated traffic volume. You talk about uh, events being network-wide, but on the other hand, you talk about how it's implemented at end hosts. Is there something that sort of aggregates things across end hosts so that you can define events that, that affect more than one particular host at a time? Yeah, so the workflow of Trumpet is we have individual event captures towards, uh, at end host. So we can identify those events that happened at individual hosts. But at the same time, if the end host uh, sends the uh, uh, kind of events to the controller, the controller can collect all these results together to determine if some network-wide event has been satisfied. And if that's satisfied, they will also report to the operator. So in that way, we can um, both detect local host-related events, but also network-wide events. So there's a, a component that runs on end hosts. Is, is there also then a, a centralized component to the system? Yes. Okay, that gets us a little bit more into uh, how the how the whole system is implemented. It seems like probably the, the trickiest part, or at least my guess, the trickiest part is probably how you do the packet processing on the end host. Uh, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about how that happens? Yeah, sure. So our goal is very ambitious. We want to really support rate processing, so not affecting the normal packet processing on 10 TV. So that means we only have like 30, 70 nanoseconds per packet processing time, not just for measurement, but also the normal process. But on the other hand, we want the whole measurement function to sit on the same core for packet processing core. So only we leverage leftover process rather than starting a new core. Um, and that's uh, in addition to scale to line speed, we also want it to be supporting all kinds, like thousands of events operators may specify for different kinds of flows, and being able to record the events at tens of milliseconds level, uh, immediately after the event happens. So given this goal, I think the key challenge is really 
uh, deciding what, how much function you do on pass during the packet processing and how much you do off pass, like theoretically uh, using the uh, kind of three core resources. So I think two ideas that could come in mind. One idea is that you can uh, on pass during the packet processing keep all the records of individual packets and then somehow offline in off pass step post-process these uh, packets to identify those instances. But that's not good because it would cause too much overhead in off-pass scenarios because you need to investigate all the packet records and identify those events. Another idea would be to do most of the things on pass. You see every packet and match this packet to all the triggers, all the events that you want to capture. And then that requires you to really, for every packet, need too many memory access and that would have very bad cache impact. So instead, we try to have a balance of the on-pass and off-pass uh, processing. So on-pass, we inspect every packet, but we only match them to a five-tuple level, low level, independent of the kind of events we want to capture. And now we have some off-pass uh, kind of match and report piece that can um, aggregate the five-tuple information to the actual events that we want to capture and check if the events are satisfied or not. Of course, uh, given this uh, high-level design, we also did lots of other optimizations like uh, improving the layout of the data structure to increase the memory access efficiency, to improve the caching behaviors, and careful use of the natural memory, and then having uh, better scheduling of the uh, cycles between packet processing and memory. A lot of this sort of work on packet processing, at least in my experience, involves a lot of optimization work, and you've described some of that. How did you end up testing this? That that's always sort of the the, the key uh, to this uh, um, this sort of work. Once once you have something that you theoretically think should perform, uh, you you end up uh, um, having sometimes quite a challenge to find the right test sets. And, uh, and being able to, to test it properly. So, so how did you go about doing that? Yeah, so we mostly test from two perspectives. The first is um, the scalability and efficiency of the system. For that, we don't really find real traffic. We just want to stress test with the worst case traffic. So we try like 4,000 triggers on 10 unit line speeds with a smallest packet size, like 65 packets and with like thousands of flows at the maximum uh, normal data center speed. So we've been stress testing all these, all these aspects and show that our system can really uh, scale, scale to line speed with such uh, worst case scenarios. And then um, another set of tests would be related to the real application. So there we built um, a couple of example trumpet events that we want to capture and see that our system can really capture these kind of different events in line speed. What's the outline of your performance results? Uh, can it keep up with, uh, with line rate for 10 gigabit? Yeah, so I think the, the actual performance really depends on how frequent you want to report the event. So if you want to report the event within like 10 milliseconds, then you can really scale to uh, 10G line rate with 65 packets uh, and 4K triggers. And uh, if you want to report your events to uh, one millisecond uh, time interval, even shorter frequent time events, then you can uh, support uh, fewer packets. So uh, you can support uh, 
by five to six million packets per second. So um, that means 10G line rate for larger size packets or uh, not for line rate speed for the smallest packets. One of the techniques you used in uh, scaling up or, or optimizing the system was uh, was caching statistics on a per five tuple basis. We've done a lot of optimizations around caching in Open vSwitch, and what we always found, of course, is that you need to make sure that your miss rate uh, stays low. Um, if the the miss rate gets gets high, then uh, you of, of course uh, lose lose performance. Your paper uh, is kind of unique among the papers that I've read in that it goes to some trouble to degrade gracefully in the face of an intentional denial of service. Do you want to say a little bit more about how that actually works? Yeah, I think denial of service is especially important for measurement systems because your measurement is to uh, the goal of your measurement is to detect anomaly behavior. And if you have a, a malicious attacker that can get around your system, that means your measurement is not that trustful. So that's why we put a lot of efforts in trying to uh, make sure we also work okay during the stall event. And the key limitation of Trumpet is that we keep a five type of loading cache uh, in on the per packet processing space. space. So that means. Um, we have too many short flows, then the table of the five type of flow table could become large, and that would cause um, it go beyond the cache and size, and it would cause more performance problems. So um, we make the observation that for many short flows, you don't really need to keep lots of statistics about them, and they're mostly um, related to attacks. So we have a filter that before these five type of flow table that can uh, filter out those short flows, and only put our measurement effort on those flows that are larger than the threshold, and in our particular example, it's like 175 flow size. And if it goes beyond that, we will monitor it more carefully. And if it's smaller than the, the flow size, then we will do uh, pre-filtering to uh, prevent it from making the table size too large. And in that way, we can uh, gracefully degrade our performance during a You've mentioned a couple of times that the system looks as far as the five tuple and that that's primarily for performance. So how would the system suffer if it were extended to look uh, deeper into a packet? Uh, wh what's the uh, performance constraint there? So you mean if the uh, system is required to invest in more fields than the five tuple? Uh, I think it would just uh, increase the fine grain to the five tuple flow table we have. But uh, normally if you don't have like significantly more than the field, then I don't expect the table size to be much larger. And you always have the job of deciding what's the size of flow you want to monitor in this table. Uh, so hopefully that could uh, help reduce the size of this. One of the I issues that I've seen people bring up when it comes to switching in software is that the cost of switching takes away from what you can do with the rest of the system. If your system is spending a core on switching or a, or a core on monitoring, then it has one fewer core to, uh, to use for uh, actually getting work done. Did people bring up uh, any issues around that here? I, I see that, that one of your, your co-authors was from Google, and I'm, I'm curious uh, about any, any feelings on that uh, a score, especially from operators. Yeah, so I think we pay special attention to the problem. That's why early on in this project, we make this decision on making sure 
the monitoring doesn't take a new call. It's actually split on the original packet processing call. And only using the leftover like CPU and memory resources to store and process. Um, so that's totally a big concern. And another concern is really if you run monitoring and at a different call, then there's actually more issues with the phase to synchronize packets uh, and the cache behavior. So it will actually become worse. Um, that's why the paper makes the design decision really uh, putting monitoring at the same call as the packet are you continuing to uh, to work in this area? Do you have some future work planned that's uh, that's related to this? Uh, yes. So now you can see that Trumpet actually provides a good fine-grained real-time event capturing system at Mhost. So the next step is really to help our operators to get used to such kind of system to think of what kind of events they can capture and can help automate the control parts. So one specific ongoing project we have been working on is um, how to use Trumpet to help diagnose TPP-related problems. So for example, if we want to understand if uh, the, the root causes for a TPP performance problem of a flow of the interactions of many flows, what kind of events do we really want to capture? And from the events we capture, can we really reproduce uh, the, performance the performance problems of these flows and help operators to understand their root causes from there? Well, that sounds really promising. I think that uh, everybody should look forward to that. So switching uh, gears a little bit, I see that you have two papers at N NSDI that's uh, coming up next month. Uh, the, the papers aren't public yet, of course, because NSDI hasn't started. But one of them that sounds intriguing to me is the one titled Cherry Pick, Adaptively Unearthing the Best Cloud Configurations. Are, are you willing to give us a bit of a, a preview of, of this paper and, and what it looks like? Sure. So Cherry Pick focuses on the problem of big data analytics, like as big data analytics getting popular in the cloud, a common problem developers face is to find out the right cloud configuration, like the right choices or instance types, and the cluster size, uh, these kind of configurations that help them to minimize the cost and running time of their application. So this is a kind of a challenging um, problem because first you want high accuracy, you want to really pick the best instance type and configuration that minimizes the cost and running time. And second, you want low overhead because a naive approach would require you to try all kinds of configurations. And then you would pay like lots of um, time and uh, money to really get to the best configuration, but that's kind of a lot of overhead. Um, finally, you also want, uh, and one of the most challenging part is want good adaptivity. So that means you want a solution that can work with all kinds of analytical jobs, ranging from machine learning to data analyst system to database system, and also work with all kinds of cloud configurations because like, clouds keep introducing new types of uh, instances and configurations all the time. Um, so how to solve this problem? Um, previously, most people take the approach of accuracy quantify the resource performance trade-off. So if you can do a curve about the resource performance trade-off, then based on the curve, you can easily predict which other best configuration um, for your cost and time budget. But it's really hard to come up with such an uh, accurate performance model because there are just so many different uh, applications and each application has diverse behavior 
uh, with respect to the CPR memory resources. So instead, Cherry-picks observation is that we don't really need accurate modeling for all kinds of configurations and their resulting performance. Instead, we only need just enough accuracy to help us distinguish between the best configuration to the rest of the configuration. So based on that insight, we're using BNC model, a BNC optimization that allows us to provide, um, to just use a small number of samples to provide just enough uh, model that shows the performance relations with the configurations, and over time we can improve particular mass configuration that can help us uh, improve our understanding of the model, but also help us to identify uh, the differences across configurations. So the results of cherry pick is quite impressive. We can really uh, we tested four kinds of different analytical jobs. Um, like a CDS benchmarks and some machine learning jobs running on Spark. All these applications were able to reach the best of uh, configurations with just a few uh, tries of configuration. That sounds good. What are people generally trying to optimize for? Are they more interested in optimizing for the, the time that a, a job takes to run or the cost to run it? Or are there other factors that, uh, that, that come into consideration? I think time and cost are the major uh, considerations. And different people may, may need to make different choices between time and cost. So for example, um, for some startup companies who are just starting with limited budgets, they might also they may worry about the cost more. And for other real-time analytical jobs, they may worry about the timing. So we really uh, cherry pick really provides the knobs allowing operators to specify the trade-offs they want in terms of cost and time. And that's really the problem hard in that given your choice of cost and time, what's the best that uh, configuration? that achieve the goal. Generally, or, or roughly, how many choices are there uh, in, in one of these clouds uh, among configurations? Yeah, so if you look at uh, uh, Amazon EC2, this often has like tens of instance types. And if you have uh, uh, given a single instance type, and for application, you may also want to try uh, different cluster sizes. So bigger cluster allows you to run your application faster, but also with larger costs. Um, so combining the two factors together, you can think of there could be hundreds of uh, configuration choices People have to choose among potentially hundreds. Uh, how are they generally choosing today? Is it uh, typically just a, a best guess off, off the cuff? Yeah, so today most cloud provide uh, some guidelines um, on how you choose different instance types. So for example, um, if your jobs is too heavy, they would introduce you to more CPU uh, efficient instance types. But these kind of guidelines are quite vague. Um, so it's very hard uh, for a new developer who don't have any experience to pick the right type. Because you see, uh, for any application, there are not clear definition of if it's CPU bound or memory bound. It really depends on the size of um, the job you're you're running, the uh, characteristics of input data. So a lot of factors will determine uh, what kind of uh, configuration works best for you. So most people today really um, pick the instances based on their experiences, and that's kind of quite painful. 
procedure. Your procedure uh, or, or your, your technique can allow people to figure out what's likely to be best for them using a, a lot less than, say, hundreds of tries. So how many iterations would you typically run uh, using Cherry Pick? Yeah, it's usually less than or around 10 steps. Um, yeah, so it's big saving compared to the hundreds of tries you need. And then how, how high is your confidence at that point that, that you have something that's best or, or close to best? Yeah, so, so usually uh, from our uh, experience, we usually set uh, 1% to 10% confidence level. And you can tune that uh, um, based on your, your requirements in our system. Um, so our experience shows that 10% kind of confidence level can usually get you to the optimal, very close to optimal configuration. These numbers sound close to what you'd get for, say, a, a binary search, where you sort of uh, increase uh, or, or narrow narrow down by about fifty percent on on each uh, each iteration. Is is there a, an element of that in in the the way that it works? Um, so it's more advanced than binary search. We actually compare our system to binary search. Um, the the reason it's hard for this kind of search and um, solutions because the configuration has many dimensions. So different instance type tests and CPU calls have different kind of memory amounts, and then maybe it also have different cluster sizes. So uh, a naive approach would be this kind of coordinate search. So every, at every coordination, you try to search for the best configuration. So for example, if you went to 100 calls, 10 calls would be the best configuration, and then you start from there and start to search the memory coordinate to see which memory really fits you better. But the key challenge using this kind of searching approach is that there, the, the model uh, between configuration and cost and running time is not uh, a normal function. So if you, this kind of coordinate search may get you into some local optimal scenarios um, where it's not really the global optimal. So, it's very hard for these kind of searching algorithms to jump out of this local Well, that's the benefit of the implementation, where it helps you to have a um, come out of the entire searching space to tell you which are the searching areas uh, in the whole configuration space that you should pay most, pay most attention to. And then within that area, you do more detailed search to find out the best configuration. All right, great. Well, we'll look forward to this uh, paper at NSDI. Do you want to, to talk about uh, any, anything else uh, uh, before, we, uh, before we finish up? Anything uh, you'd like to add about uh, this or any of your other work? Yeah, so I'd like to thank you for inviting me to the podcast. And I have been using Open Research uh, for many years. So I also want to thank uh, uh, the whole Open Research for providing such a good platform for us to evaluating our research projects. Uh, I'd also like to encourage the audiences to consider submitting to a hot uh, connect and contact us if you have any questions. Uh, as I mentioned before, hot connect is really uh, a workshop where we hope to combine efforts from industry and academia in kind of getting more involved, getting both side more involved in the kind of uh, container trend and trying to uh, discuss open problems in this space. So we would really encourage uh, submissions in all aspects, like either it's experiences or measurement of containerized systems or any open problem statements of containers 
or if you have any technical ideas or solutions that you think might apply to the container scenarios, we'd all love to hear about it. Thank you. And uh, what's the best way for people to contact you if they had feedback? Yeah, please send emails to my uh, email account, which is yu at eo.edu. Um, all right. Thank you very much. OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org. Or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.